Well, welcome in. It is a We Tackle Life podcast. Yeah, Bruce Hooley with you. Glad to be with you. Sorry I wasn't here last week. I have no good excuse. I just, uh, I'm a busy guy and I got a lot of busy things going on and radio shows and sports writing and, uh, you know, commitments at home, commitments at my church. And I just, uh, I didn't get it done. So I apologize. I really, really, really apologize. I should have done one. I should have done two. One of these days, I might do three in a week, but I didn't get to it. But we got a lot to talk about, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. Thank you for sticking with me. I'm very sorry that the podcasts have become irregularly timed. Yes, I know. When you start a podcast, the number one thing they tell you for your podcast to be successful is you must be regular with it. And when I had a big, scary, but gentle linebacker knocking on my door every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6.30 a.m., it was easier to be regular, but I am not accountable to uh, Mr. Spielman and his drive through the hinterlands anymore and haven't been for a long time, and so the podcast regularity has waned, and I'm sorry about that. Okay, enough groveling. Uh, I hope that uh, those of you who listen are uh, at least intrigued a bit by a new endeavor that I'm involved with called PatriotSwitch.com. It's a way for you to, if you are interested in being a little bit more purposeful, circumspect, careful maybe with your shopping dollars, if you're inclined politically to push back against some of the biggest corporations in the retail world, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Mars, Coca-Cola, Nestle, if you're inclined that you don't really like where those companies give their money charitably, namely to Planned Parenthood, to other causes that I would say are not necessarily uh, pro-American traditional values. There is a company that I have found that makes everything it sells, ships it direct to your house, and it's a lot of the same stuff you have in your medicine cabinet, your pantry, protein bars, supplements, vitamins, really good vitamins. Um, The absorption rate on the vitamins is crazy. They have studies to back it up. Mouthwash, toothpaste, coffee, laundry soap, countertop cleaners, 400-plus products. You can order it, ship it right to your house, comparably priced. We find the quality to be better than what we bought over the counter, and we feel better about where our money goes because it doesn't go to those causes. It goes to pro-police causes, pro-life causes, pro-America causes. Go to patriotswitch.com slash Bruce, put in your information. I'll reach out, I'll call you, I'll tell you about it. Monthly commitments expenditure-wise, you got to be a member of this private shopping club, and you got to be a member, you have to stay a member every month. It's going to be around eh, 65 bucks a month, probably. Uh, the membership fee is way less than you pay at Costco for a year. So uh, that's not the problem. It's just you have to order every month because they got to know how much to make. So uh, that's the deal. Love to hear from you. PatriotSwitch.com slash Bruce. Okay. Uh, we have Ohio State against Michigan State this week. Now, when the schedule came out, everybody assumed, ooh, at Michigan State, ooh, danger game. Ohio State has not lost at Michigan State since 1990. Nine. 1999. So I don't know why everybody thinks, ooh, danger game. Well, Urban Meyer's first game at Michigan was close. And I don't remember if they've had a close game up there since. But Michigan State started 2-0. They were ranked. They go to Washington. They get pounded at Washington. And then I don't even know who they played next. But they also lost that game. And then they played, oh, I know who they played. Played Minnesota at home. And they got pounded. Pounded by Minnesota at home. And now you're starting to think, mm, there's Michigan State. Mm, what's the deal with Michigan State? Doesn't Mel Tucker have like a 10-year, uh, $95 million contract? Yeah, he does. Yikes. 
And then they lose at Maryland, 27-13. to 13. This is the Michigan State Spartan squad that your Ohio State Buckeyes, who are rolling over everybody like they're a third-world economy, uh, this is who the Ohio State Buckeyes are playing this week after pounding, who's the latest victim? Um, oh, I can't even remember. They played oh, Rutgers, right, Rutgers. I'm sorry. I know you're all deeply invested. I cannot get deeply invested in Ohio State until they play a team that has even a puncher's chance of beating them, okay? Like they used to say in boxing, well, he's got a puncher's chance, which meant he really doesn't have a chance because he's not fast. He doesn't have good defensive boxing tactics, but he's got a knockout punch, and if he gets really, really lucky, he might land a knockout punch, and that gives him a puncher's chance. Otherwise, he's a palooka. Well, the Big Ten is full of palookas. Michigan State's a palooka. I watched a little bit of Penn State on Saturday. They're a palooka. Uh, Minnesota is a palooka. Just when I started to think, eh, you know, Minnesota, they may have a little something, something. No, they got beat on Saturday. How is the Big Ten this bad this long? How? Does is nobody else trying to win? Nobody in the West is trying to win. <laughs> what is going on? The Big Ten has been egregiously, hopelessly bad for what? 20 years? Literally since Tress showed up. It's been terrible, the Big Ten. Michigan, eh, once in a while. Last year, okay, Mirage, they get in the playoffs, bam, they get dough-popped. I just can't, Penn State is ranked 10th in the country. I will say what I've said before. If Penn State is the 10th ranked team in the country, what kind of country are we? (laughs) Penn State's awful. Sean Clifford is your quarterback? If you want to, if you want to put Drew Aller in there and give yourself a puncher's chance, maybe Sean Clifford is not beating Ohio State. I don't care if they play at Beaver Stadium in a whiteout with, you know, whoever with the with the lion roar being played before every snap, during every snap. Penn State is not beating Ohio State. Northwestern, Iowa, neither one of them can score. Maryland, no. Indiana, no chance. Maybe Michigan, but it's in Ohio Stadium, and they're not going to lose to Michigan in Ohio Stadium. And Ohio State, they're playing and scoring however many points they want to score without Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I'm just, I'm just, I cannot get interested in the nuances of who Rutgers is coming in and it really improved under Greg Schiano. Ooh, they jumped out to a seven another lead. Okay, whoop de doo. The only thing interesting about that game was Shiano and Ryan Day chewing at each other over a fake punt. Don't fake punt when you're up that much, Ohio State. Bad look. I know. Punter read it. And I, I get why Shiano's mad. I get why Day's mad that Shiano's mad. They kissed and made up after. I'll say this about Greg Shiano. When I was covering Ohio State in the, was it 2019 football season, the playoff against Clemson, the Clemson game that Clemson won, but not the one that Urban Meyer said, this will never happen again. This was Ryan Day's 
Was it Ryan Day's first? I think it was Ryan Day's first loss at Ohio State. I don't remember. Were they undefeated? They go out there to the Fiesta Bowl. They play Trevor Lawrence. Then T. Higgins, Jeff Okuda. You remember. Sean Wade thrown out of the game. Anyway, one of the things that I remembered, and I, you know, I've interviewed thousands of coaches, thousands of players. One of the things that stood out to me from that pregame interview, you know, experience was a one-on-one, and those are rare now in media with the way everything's a scrum and the way everything's controlled. But I got a one-on-one at media day in the um, in the uh, hotel, and Greg Schiano was sitting there. Nobody's talking to Greg Schiano. And I'm like, well, I'll go talk to him. So I, I go talk to Schiano, who was then the defensive coordinator before everybody thought Greg Schiano forgot how to coach defense. And I asked Schiano, is it tough? You're an NFL head coach, Tampa Bay Bucks. You're a college guy. Michigan wanted you. And you had a great run at Rutgers. You were on Thursday Night Football on ESPN, a storm in the field. You beat Louisville. You've won, you know, and now you're like an assistant coach. And here's Ryan Day. He's a young guy. And, you know, is there any in you like, hmm, my moment's passed. <laughs> I didn't get to experience all this. I mean, I was a little bit more delicate than that, but that was the area where I was going. And I was like, how did you get into a mindset where you can be a really good assistant coach? And he said, look, as an assistant coach, the number one thing you got to do is you got to make the head coach's life easier and simpler. That's your job as an assistant coach is to make the head coach's job easier and simpler. So whatever I can do to make my head coach's job easier and simpler, I'm going to do that. I thought it was an interesting answer. I thought it was a humble answer. I liked the answer a lot. And so I, you know, I've always had a little bit of a a soft spot for Greg Schiano. So he's sticking up for his guys on Saturday. He kind of had to do that. I mean, you don't fake a punt up like Ohio State was. So uh, Ryan Day's got to call that off. But Ohio State's just a juggernaut. They're going to pound Michigan State. And unfortunately, not really, because I don't care for Michigan State's football program, but the funny part of the Mel Tucker thing is now they're looking at Mel Tucker after getting blasted the last three weeks saying, it's okay. We only have this guy for another decade. (laughs) What possessed them? I know an 11 win season. What possessed them to give Mel Tucker, who's a Cleveland guy, former Browns assistant, former Ohio state assistant. What possessed them to give Mel Tucker a, Nine, a 10-year, $95 million contract. I'll tell you what possessed him to do that. Stupidity. That's what possessed him to do that. Stupidity. They thought, oh, we got our answer. Well, you got your answer to who's the next Michigan State coach to disappoint you because John L. Smith did and uh, Mark D'Antonio really didn't. But a host of Michigan State coaches have disappointed you over the years and Mel Tucker will be the next one to disappoint you because he's not going to be better than Jim Harbaugh and he's not going to be better than Ryan Day or whoever Ohio State hires next. And you're going to have to deal with it, Sparty, because you sure can't afford to buy out Mel Tucker. So that's my analysis of Ohio State and Michigan State. My analysis of coffee is Hemisphere Coffee. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee. Awesome coffee. Awesome people. You'll love it particularly the deal you get when you use the promo code WeTackleLife. You get 15% off, and you get a better chance to get 
your order shipped to you free. It will be shipped to you free if you order $30 or more. So you get more coffee for the money, and it's shipped to you free. I'd order $30 or more, and their coffee's great. It's however you want it. K-Cups, they have that. You want it light, medium, dark roast, they have that. You want it ground, whole bean, they have that. Go to their website, browse all the flavors, browse all the different countries their coffee comes from. They buy it from direct from growers in countries like Indonesia, Thailand, Nicaragua, Ethiopia. Ship it here in the States in, you know, big shipping containers. And then they roast it in Mechanicsburg, Ohio, home of the Indians. Shout out to the Indians. And they're politically incorrect at Mechanicsburg High School. They still call them the Indians. But Paul, Grace, Andy, the Hemisphere team, wonderful, wonderful people. And they appreciate very much the ongoing, continued ordering of the We Tackle Life podcast audience. And the reason why people continue to order is because they tasted the coffee and they're like, whew, this is no joke. This is the best coffee I've ever had. Mr. Spielman vouches for it. I vouch for it. You'll love it. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Okay, elsewhere in the Big Ten, the big news, the big news is that Paul Christ has been fired at Wisconsin. Bucky the Badger ran out of patience with Paul Christ because he's lost three consecutive games. Three. He lost to Washington State at home, and that's apparently, you know, unforgivable. Then he lost to Ohio State on the road, big, which, <laughs> okay, <laughs> who didn't see that coming? And then he lost on Saturday to Illinois. Now, I kind of wondered after the margin in the Illinois game, and I think it was 35 to 10, 35 to 10, that, and to Brett Bielema, by the way, did you forget Brett Bielema was coaching at Illinois? Uh, they have not forgotten at Wisconsin. Former Wisconsin coach Brett Bielema, who led Bucky the Badger to, I think, two Rose Bowls. Um, Brett Bielema came in there with his enormous orange windbreaker and smoked him. Just smoked him. Wisconsin scored on its first drive of the game and did not score another TD. Three points after that. And Illinois just big played him and ground him into the dust. And they had a quarterback who scored three touchdowns on sneaks. So not a good day to be a Wisconsin Badger. Uh, they're not jumping around with much uh, energy at Camp Randall. Now, so why fire Paul Christ, who was, what is he, 60 and 26? Like, he won more than twice as many games as he lost. Now, in his last 27 games, he was 15 and 12. And of those 12 losses, eight of them were by 10 points or more. So they're not just losing, they're getting beaten handily, okay? And five of the seven losses, uh, were five of their last seven losses have been by a collective, are you ready? 114 points. Did they win a bowl game last year? Yeah, they were nine and four last year. Six and three in the Big Ten, tied for second in the Big Ten West. They won the Las Vegas Bowl. 2020, COVID year, throw it out. I think they were 4-3. 2019, they went to the Rose Bowl. They lost to Justin Herbert and Oregon in the Rose Bowl. It was close. Paul Christ has won a Cotton Bowl, and he's won an Orange Bowl, and he's lost a Rose Bowl, and he's fired. So, 
Why? Why fire him? He's a former Wisconsin quarterback. They believe at Wisconsin, and they might be right, that he's done all he can do. He's reached his apex. But I think the real reason they fired him is a twofold reason. Number one, the Nebraska job is open. Nebraska's in the Big Ten West. Nebraska is the kind of a job that if you want that job, you'd also kind of, you know, look at Wisconsin. Wisconsin does not want Nebraska to get a guy that Wisconsin might want, namely Lance Leopold from Kansas or Matt Campbell from Iowa State, and then be sitting there with buyer's remorse because they waited to pull the trigger on Paul Christ. So they can start interviewing, start looking around for coaches right now. But they have, and I always said, I always said, you know, when you have a coach who views his job as his dream job, and you don't have to worry about people coming in and poaching him, then you have, and he's, a, and he's obviously a good coach who wins, then you have the perfect coach for your program. Jim Tressel was never going to leave Ohio State for another job. Urban Meyer was never going to leave Ohio State for another job. Mark D'Antonio was never going to leave Michigan State for another job. Jim Harbaugh unless he's chased away, is not going to leave Michigan for another job. That's when you know Jim uh, uh, Joe Tiller at Purdue. He was a Purdue assistant. He thought Purdue was the greatest place in the world. He wanted to coach at Purdue. So when you have that kind of coach, and Paul Christ at Wisconsin was that kind of coach, when you have that kind of coach, that's a great coach for you. So why would they give up this quickly on Paul Christ? Because they have another Paul Christ on the staff in defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, interim coach Jim Leonard. Jimmy Leonard played at Wisconsin on Barry Alvarez's, one of his Rose Bowl teams, maybe two of his Rose Bowl teams. Jimmy Leonard was a walk-on at Wisconsin, wound up leading the Big Ten in interceptions. I think he made All-American, played for the Baltimore Ravens, and he's been coveted as a coach by other programs. Last year, Notre Dame wanted him as defensive coordinator. Jimmy Leonard has given up money to stay at Wisconsin because he's a Wisconsin guy. And so now Wisconsin has the chance with Jimmy Leonard to see, can he fix this? In midstream's a tough nut to crack. But listen to this schedule that Wisconsin has the rest of the way and tell me they can't win every single one of these games. Northwestern Saturday. Michigan State the next week. Purdue the next week. Maryland. November 5th, Iowa, November 12th, and Nebraska, end of the season, okay? So they have six games left, and I think they could win them all. I think they could win every single one of them. Probably won't. They probably could play Minnesota at the end of the year. So they play Minnesota. Could they win that one? Sure. Sure. They could. So I wouldn't bet against Jim Leonard. Winning enough, what's enough? Five and two, hard to get rid of Jim Leonard. Really hard to get rid of Jim Leonard. Six and one, seven and oh, got to keep him. Now, this is the danger. I always say, what's my rule? You know, long pod, long-time podcast listeners, what's Hooley's rule? Never hire the interim. Never. Never hire the interim. There's obviously something wrong in your program. And so get it all out. 
cut the scab off, bleed it out, get a new guy, new blood, new whatever, go get a guy, I would never hire the interim. I would tell Jim Leonard, if you want to stay here as defensive coordinator, we'll do everything we can to keep you as defensive coordinator under the next head coach. If you want to go to MAC, AAC, Mountain West, coach three, four, five years, come back here someday, we're all about it, not giving you the head coaching job from defensive coordinator. Not doing it. But they'll do what they'll do, obviously. They're not asking me. So Jim Leonard gets the shot. They got games, seven of them, Northwestern, Michigan State, Purdue, Maryland, Iowa, that's on the road, Nebraska on the road, Minnesota at home, Minnesota at home. So we'll see. Good luck to Jim Leonard. Uh, I thought Paul Chris was a really good play caller. Obviously something came loose in that program. I would have waited. And the reason I would have waited, well, here, here's why they didn't wait, because they're probably going to beat if they beat Northwestern, then they're like, well, we can't fire them after we win. And then they go on the road to Michigan State. And if they lose at Michigan State, that doesn't really seem like a fireable offense. Purdue could come in. Now you're getting to the point where you only got four games left, and Leonard doesn't have a full sample size, right? So if you want to know about Jimmy Leonard, you got to give him a chance. So they just they did what Ohio State did when they fired Earl. This is our chance. This is our chance. Let's fire him. Yes, I know Brett Bielema will have it over us forever that he, like, caused us to fire Paul Christ. But for the good of the program, let's fire him now because he might save his job against Northwestern or he might save his job against Michigan State or Purdue. If he wins two or three in a row, what are you going to do? Well, then you got to keep him. So they don't want to keep him. They, uh, I'm sure they want Matt Campbell. I'm sure they want Lance Leopold, who's done a really nice job at Kansas. Um, and I don't know if I'm if I'm Lance Leopold or uh, if I'm Jimmy Leonard or, or if I'm uh, uh, Matt Campbell, I much prefer Wisconsin to Nebraska. I think Nebraska. I'm not so sure Nebraska can be good in this era. Back in the day, where you know they're in the Big Twelve and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe uh, option football and all that stuff. I think Nebraska is kind of a nine and three job. I really do. I really do. I think it is. I think it's a it's a nine and three job. Uh, Lance Leopold, he's he was the head coach at Wisconsin Whitewater, and um, you know then he went to Buffalo. And now he's at Kansas. He's done a nice job at Kansas. Matt Campbell, he's been at Iowa State, so he knows the recruiting, you know, he knows the recruiting uh, drill out there. This is the other thing for Wisconsin. Maybe they decide right now, although I seriously doubt it because Barry Alvarez still wields a big stick at Wisconsin, even though he's not the AD anymore. Maybe now they say, you know what? We don't want to be what we've been. We don't want to be like big 350-pound lineman and a tailback who totes it 30 times a game and uh, kind of a average to slightly below or slightly above average passing team. We don't want to be that. We want to be more dynamic. We want to be more speed oriented. We want to be, but again, you know, in Wisconsin, you get into late November, late November games, it's going to be cold, baby. You got to have a style that works in that weather and that style that Alvarez brought there worked, but I don't know that that style works in modern college football. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Lance Leopold is not a young guy. He's 58. 
So maybe Campbell is uh, is more to their liking. We'll see. But it'll be interesting to see who goes to Wisconsin because I think Wisconsin has uh, the potential to get back and be a decent team. Uh, I don't think Wisconsin's ever a national championship team. They might win a Big Ten title game um, in their future. But uh, they weren't going to do it uh, under Paul Christ. So Paul Christ is out. Goodbye. Sign RC later. Okay, we'll get to the Browns momentarily. I know you all been waiting. That's a lot on Wisconsin. Get to the Browns. Okay, I'll get to the Browns. But first, don't forget, my attorney firm of choice is Willis Spangler Starling. Of course, there is no other attorney firm. I'm approaching Willis Spangler Starling currently with two particular things. Number one, we got to get our will tidied up. Last time we did it, our kids were little. Now we have an 18-year-old. we got to change it around. Last time we did it, my parents were alive. Now they're gone. You tend to let a will get away from you. You don't want it to. Get the will of Spangler Starling. Get your will taken care of. You have a case involving hmm, Social Security disability, employment law, divorce, wills, estate planning, anything. They got you covered. Will of Spangler Starling located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. Check them out, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Okay. Bengals had a good day yesterday. The Steelers, Ravens, and Browns, all blue games they could have or should have won in the case of the Ravens. I know John Harbaugh has taken it in the shorts today because he did not kick a field goal when he could have kicked a field goal. His logic makes sense to me. If you kick a field goal, then Buffalo has – they're in four-down territory knowing they need to go down and get a field goal to tie or a touchdown to win. It puts your defense at a disadvantage. If you go for the touchdown when you're on the three-yard line, you don't get it. Buffalo's got to go the long field. They're not operating under the four-down, you know, kind of bravado that you would have. I get it. I just think you get a chance to get a lead in an NFL game. You get it because Buffalo owned that clock at the end of the game and, um, you know, Kick the field goal to win it. Okay. So the Ravens have lost five in a row at home. Whoo. Whoo. Uh, the Steelers, uh, they, Steelers got quarterback issues, which no surprise. Uh, ben Roethlisberger retired. Mr. Trubisky, not the answer. Uh, now they're going to go with Kenny Pickett. He's going to throw a ton of interceptions. That's what, that's what rookie quarterbacks do. Only first round quarterback. We'll see. I don't think he's Dan Marino. I don't think he's Ben Roethlisberger. I think the Steelers are in for a, a long slog under, uh, Kenny Pickett or whoever tries to be the next Ben Roethlisberger because there's only one. But to the Cleveland Browns now we go. They lost at Atlanta 23-20. And I do not understand why you get a very successful first drive of the football game down to the shadow of the Falcons' goal line and go for it on fourth and goal at the three. Or maybe they didn't need a touchdown, but get the points. Get the points, please. Get ahead in the football game. Don't give the other team a chance to get momentum after you've run it down their throat to get down the field. That was dumb. Okay, it was dumb. What you do on your first drive doesn't beat you. They were missing five starters on defense. I know. Kevin Stefanski did not have a good day because it seemed to me that Atlanta could not stop the Browns from running the football, and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb got only, and I mean only, 29 combined carries. And at the end of the game, when the Falcons had a three-point lead and the Browns were in position to certainly get a field goal or try one, Jacoby Brissett took a stupid sack, and then Jacoby Brissett, on third down, either lost track of the chains or just 
lost his mind and threw an interception that he never should have attempted in that situation. And after the game, Browns fans are, you know, all down the shorts of Jacoby Brissett. Here's the thing, Browns fans. Here in Columbus, we were treated after the Browns' loss to the Panthers and the Cardinals. And so I watched Baker Mayfield. And trust me, you don't want to go back to that, okay? You just do not. Not because Baker can't win football games, not because I couldn't stand Baker Mayfield. That's not it. Baker Mayfield is a very diminutive quarterback. And several times in the game, he had passes batted down by the Cardinals. And there is getting a pass batted down when you're trying to get a first down is the equivalent in baseball of fouling out, right? You're running a play. You might have a guy open. You've schemed it. You feel good about it. You throw the pass, and you didn't miss the pass, and the guy didn't drop the pass, or the defender didn't make a play on the pass. A guy batted it down like you didn't even get a chance because your quarterback is vertically challenged, all right? And Baker Mayfield gets a lot of passes batted. And I don't know if he gets them batted because he's short, because Brandon Whedon wasn't short, and Brandon Whedon got a lot of passes batted down. There's something about Baker Mayfield that his passes have a homing pigeon in them that finds the hands and forearms of opposing defensive players a lot. Jacoby Brissett's a big guy who doesn't do that. Jacoby Brissett's a back-up quarterback, okay? Baker Mayfield was not staying in Cleveland as Deshaun Watson's backup, or as Deshaun Watson's bellboy. Here, Deshaun, let me hold the job open for you while you sit out your 11-game suspension. And when you come back, I'll be more than happy to go to the bench and watch you do your thing. Baker Mayfield was never going to do that, nor should they have ever asked him to do that. So, because Watson got suspended, don't blame Jacoby Brissett. He's a backup. He's an efficient Decent, workable backup. He does some nice things, notably quarterback sneak the ball. He's not a starter. He should not be given the chance to win you a game. He should not be given the chance to lose you a game or win you a game. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and that offensive line should be winning you games. Run them 40 times. I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are phenomenal. And Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are different enough that I think they're the perfect complement is change of pace backs. And you got tight ends you can throw the football to. And your really only downfield threat is Amari Cooper. So I wouldn't be forcing it down there to DPJ or David Bell or anybody else. I'd be playing the most boring, efficient football that I could trying to get to 24 points because with the defense, that ought to be enough to win the game. Now, I will say that the Denzel Ward penalty on the face mask was stupid. And Denzel Ward is at times a phenomenal player and at times a drain on my patience as a Browns fan. And it's also not to be overlooked that Miles Garrett has got to stop driving so stupid fast and putting himself in a situation where he could have been killed and fortunately wasn't, but therefore could not play for the Browns. So don't absolve him just because he wasn't there. Oh, Miles wasn't there. Well, it's Miles' fault that Miles wasn't there, okay? 
So that's <laughs> just the Browns lead the universe in drama. They lead the universe in drama. If there's a corner of the football universe where a way can possibly be unearthed to lose a football game, the Cleveland Browns or someone wearing their uniform, coaching their team, owning their team, GMing their team, taking tickets in the Muni lot for their team, will find a way to spelunk through all convention and find the way to lose the game and lose it. And I have watched it since the 1980s. And I am now resigned to the fact that when I am watching a game like Sundays, there was a brief respite in the one year when they made the playoffs and beat the Steelers, a brief respite where I actually watched games like that and thought, oh, we'll win this game. Now I watch games like that, and I go, how are we going to lose this game? Maybe that'll change when Deshaun Watson is at quarterback and Miles Garrett is back. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But they are at least not dull because I said many years ago to my former colleague on the air and good friend, Dave Dino DiNatale, that we needed to keep a Cleveland Browns calendar of dysfunction during a season. Every day, chart the crazy, wild, this happens to no other team but the Browns experiences. Because sure enough, there would be something in week three that by week eight, there would be an array of other crazy, never happens to any other team experiences would cause us to forget what happened in week three. But if we had the Browns calendar of dysfunction to refer to, we could say, I remember in week three when Peyton Hillis said he wanted to be a secret agent man? Oh, yeah, I do. Remember in week three when Alex Mack played with an appendectomy and Peyton Hillis couldn't play? Eh, remember when uh, they got trash can Tanny to come in and quarterback on the practice squad? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it never ends. It never ends. So add to that, Miles Garrett flipping his Porsche and Jacoby Brissett apparently losing track of the down and Kevin Stefanski not taking a gift field goal and 3-0 lead on the first play of the game and file it under the last September of October in the ongoing, ever-burgeoning, never-to-cease adding new items to the Browns' calendar of dysfunction. <sighs> okay, with that, let's turn our attention to the faith portion of the podcast. And I would like to share with you today a story that many of you have heard or know. It is from Matthew 8. And I had the privilege of... Um, studying this passage this past week in order to teach um, this passage to uh, my dear, dear friends um, at my church where I worship, Northwest Chapel in uh, Dublin, Ohio. I would love to have you come, and if you do, please, uh, please come up and introduce yourself. So in Matthew 8, uh, this is uh, following a period where Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, most amazing sermon ever. 
clearly delineates how you reach the kingdom of God, how you attain it, um, how you demonstrate it would be a better way to say it, because the kingdom of God is attained by what Christ did at the cross, not by our own works. But there are things that are evidence of our understanding of Christ's sacrifice at the cross, and we need to display those things in our life to truly uh, authenticate our receipt of the free gift of salvation. So an amazing, amazing sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's (laughs) chock full of amazing wisdom. And then Jesus comes down the mountain, and he heals a man with leprosy, and people watch him do it. And then he encounters a Roman centurion who says, hey, my, uh, my servant's really sick, and uh, I wondered if you, would, uh, if you would heal him. And Jesus says, sure, sure, I'll go with you. Where is he? I'll go heal him. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. I'm not fit to have a man like you, a rabbi like you, come into my home, but I'm a military guy, and I tell my legions, hey, you go do this, and they do it. You come here, and they come. So all you have to do is say that my servant will be healed, and he will be. And Jesus is like, dude, I've never seen anybody with faith like this. It is as you say, and the servant was healed. And then he heals Peter's mother, and then a couple of guys come up to him because they've seen all this stuff happening, and they're like, hey, you're like amazing, man. We're going to follow you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. But first, I have to go home, and I have to take care of some things at home. My dad's sick, or i got to wait for my parents to die. Then once my parents die, I'll be all in on the whole Jesus road trip thing. (laughs) Jesus is like, no, no. You can't hold on to the comforts you have in your life now, the things that are, you know, temporal but comfortable, because that's not how it works. You follow me, you give it up. You give it up. You prioritize my ministry. That's, That's what I ask of you. I don't ask much. I ask that. I ask all. That's what I ask. And so the guys slink away. Now, after all this, okay, Jesus is um, weary because he's been healing people and you know, talking to people, engaging with people. It's drained him. He's fully God, fully man. Gets tired like the rest of us. And he tells the disciples that are following him, not just his own 12 disciples, but the other people, their disciples too, they're followers of Jesus, Like, hey, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a lake. It's a big lake, 13 miles long, 7, 8 miles wide. And Jesus is like, let's let's go over to the other side of the lake. Let's find find some new new ears to to speak to. So they head across the lake, and the Sea of Galilee is located between mountains, and the air blows through there, and sometimes squalls come up, boom, like that. And this particular time, at night, while the boat Jesus is in, and probably, according to the Gospel of Mark, other boats are with him, following him, crowd of people around him, this furious storm blows in, and Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's asleep. He's sacked out. Now, think of this. A lot of these people who are Jesus' disciples are fishermen, so they've dealt with storms before, right? But this one is like the Sea of Galilee version of Hurricane Ian. It's a bad one, and there's water slopping over the edges of the boat, and they're afraid the boat's going to sink. And they're bailing water, and they're doing everything they can do. And finally, you know, it'd be mildly annoying, would it not, that Jesus is in the boat asleep. <laughs> and so I, I picture these disciples like, go wake him up. So they wake him up, and they're like, hey, we're going to drown here. A little help. Don't you care? 
And Jesus gets up and he looks at him and he goes, what are you so afraid of? Where's your faith? So that's what I want to talk about, those two things. What the disciples said to him, hey, we need help, help. What's the translation of that in our life? And what's the translation of Jesus saying, what are you afraid of? Where's your faith? So here's what I think is inherent in the disciples saying, hey, 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 help. Bad things happen to us in our life, and we want to cry out to God and say, hey, where are you? Are you there? Do you see this? Are you watching? Are you asleep? What are you doing? I know this can't be good. Like you don't you don't want my you don't want us to drown or well, my wife's cheating on me. My husband's cheating on me. My business is failing. I lost my job. Where are you? Don't you care? Like wh- where are you? Why is this happening to me? Why'd you let this happen to me? Those are our cries for help. Understandable. And Jesus' response is, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Because when Jesus is saying this to the disciples, he's looking at this in the context of, you just saw me heal a leper. You just saw me heal a centurion servant, and I wasn't even where the servant was. I just spoke it into being. You saw me heal Peter's mom. You heard me give this amazing sermon. Oh, I left the best part of this storm out. Jesus calmed the storm the minute they woke him up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and they went dead calm. Like that. Dead calm. And Matthew 8 says, The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, now... Let's put that together. He's healed a leper. He's turned water into wine. They were with him when he did that, some of them. I'm sure they talked about it. Probably didn't keep it a secret. Some of these people had seen him do amazing things. He'd seen him feed the 5,000, right? Had that happened yet? Don't hold me to that. That might not have happened yet. But they'd heard him give these amazing analogies in the Sermon on the Mount, these amazing, amazing analogies enlightening people about what the kingdom of God was really like. I mean, he wowed them big time. And yet the minute they were faced with trouble, they didn't go, hold on, we're good. He's, no, we're good. I know it's good looking bad, wind blowing, squall coming in. Don't worry. Jesus is over there. We're good. He healed a leper. This will be nothing for him. They didn't do that. They panicked. Fear gets in front of our faith. And Jesus wanted them to have a faith that was not a fair-weather faith. He wanted them to factor in a couple things that they should have known and a couple things that you and I should know. I love you. I got this. That's really what Jesus wants us to know. Hey, Bruce, I love you. I got this. I got it. 
Now, I got it doesn't mean oh, you won't lose your job here, there. I mean, your salary won't go down. This person won't disappoint you. It doesn't mean that. But if something bad happens to me, and bad things have happened to me, really bad things have happened to me, I accept grudgingly, <laughs> reluctantly, nevertheless, I accept the truth that an all-powerful, all-sovereign God is in control of all things if he wants to be, if he wants to be. So whatever happens to me, he either causes or allows. Very uncomfortable thought for many people. Why would you allow my child to be murdered? Why would you allow this child to be raped, sexually molested? I cannot answer those complex things of life for you, but I can absolutely positively tell you that I believe with all my heart that everything that happens, God either allows it or causes it. And you wouldn't want it any other way. Because if he were a God who did not cause it or allow it, he would not be an all-powerful God. And we know that. He is that because Jesus said when he ascended to heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Colossians, one of the greatest written down descriptions of Jesus and who Jesus is. If you really want to know who Jesus is, go to Colossians 1, about halfway through the chapter. And it says that he was before all things, and all things were created for him, by him, to him. He's the firstborn. He's the Son of God. He, everything was made by him, for him, to him. So I accept the reality, the truth that he allows or causes all things to happen. The disciples lost sight of the things in their own frame of reference that they had seen because they put their fear ahead of their faith, ahead of what they knew. They, they put ahead what? What they saw from the storm, what they heard that it happened to other people, what they feared would happen to them, what they were worried about happening that other people had told them had happened to friends of theirs. They had all these things that they magnified in their mind in the midst of this storm, and I'm not saying it was without, without justification, but they lost track of the fact that they had seen Jesus heal the leper. They had seen Jesus heal Peter's mom. They had, heard, they had seen him turn water into wine. They had heard the Sermon on the Mount. They had heard from him things that they had never heard from anyone else, and they were convinced that he was the Messiah, and yet in the moment, they panicked because they let fear get in front of their fair-weather faith. And that is something we all have to battle because we tend to remember things God does for other people longer than we remember things he's done for us. I have an amazing wife. I have three beautiful daughters. I have a life that is beyond anything I ever dreamed of. And those things I get to experience every minute of every day. And so I don't remember them as the amazing blessings they are every minute of every day. 
And when something minor occurs that is, to me in that moment, not minor because it's a big deal, I magnify it and I cry out, hey, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Like, don't you care? And we can all do that because we don't remember the things God has already done for us and we don't have them top of mind. And so Jesus' response to that when we cry out that way is, what are you afraid of? Where's your faith? Because remember, Bruce, and remember, We Tackle Life podcast listener, God is able, and God has got it. He does. So, that's my encouragement for you. And I don't mean to trivialize anything difficult you're going through. But isn't there a peace in knowing that you have an all-powerful God? who promises, I'll never, I'll never leave you, abandon you, I'll never forsake you. That is a comfort to me. He doesn't always answer on the schedule we want. Sometimes he doesn't answer on the schedule that we want because we need to go through something and we need to grow from that something. Sometimes it's not related to us. Sometimes it's related to somebody else needs to go through something. And we need, we're caught in the backwash of it. You know, I don't have all the answers. But I know this, I've tried to live life on my own. And I've also grown from experiences that if I would have been given the chance to avoid them up front, I would have avoided them. No, I don't want to go through that pain, Lord. No. I have a wife and three daughters that I wouldn't have had if God had answered my prayer to fix my first marriage when my first wife cheated on me. I thought, what are you doing? This, you hate divorce. What do you got to fix this? I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> I'm super glad he didn't. So I'm just saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Have a great week. 